this morning, we have a missionary guest with us um, that I could not be more excited to, to be in, in this place with us today. Um, it's, it's Darth and Tita Lee. Uh, yes, his name is Darth. Do you get people talk about that all the time? You're like, I don't know, okay? It's pretty cool. You're pretty used to it about now. Um, and Darth and Tita are longtime missionaries to the country of Cambodia, and they both have uh, an incredible story of pain and brokenness as they both grew up as children through the genocide that went through Cambodia in the late 70s. And they're going to tell a little bit of that story and tell a little bit about what God has done and is doing um, in Cambodia. Uh, Darth is a great friend of mine. I have been to the country of Cambodia with Darth two different times, and uh, we've seen great sides of each other that most people don't see, and I don't know what that means, but that's all right. Uh, I have some funny stories and some different things, and I love it, but what, what God is using these guys to do around the world is phenomenal. And I could not be more excited to have you guys here. So will you stand with me and will you welcome uh, Darth to the stage here as he speaks today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kyle. It's so good to see you and be here this morning and to come and share our story and what the Lord is calling us to do in the country of Cambodia. Thank you for your, your love of missions and your commitment to help us to share God's love to the people of Cambodia. Um, yes, we do have some stories, but I, I won't say how you left a kid in Cambodia, so. <laughs> That's a long story, but <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> By the way, your pastor has a kid in Cambodia. His name is Gideon Peterson. <laughs> you, you can ask him later after the service how that came about. <laughs> now now the, they're going to sit here and try to imagine all kinds of scenarios. <laughs> We're just, once again, thank you for your love of missions and your commitment to allow us to be your extended hand, reaching out to the broken and lost people of Cambodia. Through your partnership, we're able to plant churches, we're able to train pastors and church leaders, but also ministering to the physical need of the people through schools. Currently, we are operating five schools that minister to over 3,000 children daily because many of the children in Cambodia, especially those that are out in the rural areas, uh, yet have an opportunity to go to school. And, and through your partnership and a partnership with another ministry, we're able to, to build these schools and allow uh, a place for the children to come to read and write, but more importantly, to hear about the love of Jesus Christ for them and their families. And through that, God is touching their hearts and changing and their lives for his glory. And so I have a short video that I would like to begin with. It is a, a story of, of one girl that God has just touched and, and changed her life and give her hope for a better future. Please. There.
stuck. Try. Mencrop. ปาเกิดแต่ไงเรียงราถไงขย่มเผยประหัยจะเกิดมันตลอดมอบเดวัยมีประชาชนจะรันชื่ออดมีเป็ด ແລະສົບກົນກົນຕ່າງອັນນີ້ສໍາລັບຈັດຫາຍເຈີນແນ່ອະທິດຖານ Mật phép Xăm bốt Nét ngũ bật thơm rồi bỏ khẩu Pro sân bá Mình miếng ca chui bình Bộ gớt Khẩu có khẩu thương ngay nền đài Cứu bằng riêng rồi bỏ khẩu Gớt bằng riêng khẩu Ông bị cổ bệnh Kế chui phí ba bà chì chuẩn Hai nơm sẽ kết đời xung khẩu Tại nét chung ngừng Nhóm trong thơ cực vệt đam ơi chui phía ba nẹ chung người đài Nhóm mình miễn đây sổ mai bì môn Ở lời này, nhóm mơ tư ảnh ạ cốt Hai nhóm cực thà, viên nâng lỡ bà xa
Please turn your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 to 10 and 30 to 35, please, if you would. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 to 10, 30 to 35. You have to excuse me if in my reading I'm stumbled because I'm at the age where I need reading glasses, but I refuse to submit to that yet. So, so. <laughs> I'm still fighting. <laughs> John chapter 4, verses 4 to 10, 30 to 35. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakai, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciple had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who had asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Skip down to verse 30, please. They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciple urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Amen. You know, folks, when I read these portions of Scripture, I'm reminded of the places that I get to travel to in the country of Cambodia, all those uh, small villages across that country, because for us, for the most part, uh, we do not have running water. Uh, the concept of running water to us means that one runs with a bucket of water. But, but in these small villages, there are wells that provide water for the people, but so many times in so many places, there's not even enough wells to provide water for everybody. And so early in the morning, especially the ladies, would get up early in the morning and wait in line for an opportunity to draw a bucket of water that would provide for the needs of their, of their family for that particular day. And as I've traveled to those places, I would go to the well, and, and share Christ with them. And as I was doing so, oftentimes I'm reminded of the scripture which is read. But this morning I would like to draw your attention to verse 4, the beginning of that verse, that short sentence, when scripture tells us, now he had to go through Samaria. I read those words and I asked the question, why? Why did Jesus say he had to go through Samaria? Yes, he had to go from Judea up to Galilee in the north and Samaria, located in between those two locations. But there were other routes that he could have walked around that Samaritan town for the facts that Jews do not associate with Samaria. The Bible clearly tells us that. Matter of fact, the other Jews walk around that Samaritan town. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. I believe it's more than a geographical location. I believe it was a divine appointment because Jesus knew that there will be a woman waiting for him. 
at that well. A woman that was confused, abused, lost, and in need of a Savior. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, declared in the book of Luke that he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, and set the captive free. And for that reason, he said he had to go through Samaria. In a sense, he chose to walk to that broken place. And the thing is, folks, there are so many broken places in our world today. Just as Jesus walked to that broken place of Samaria, then he continues to walk in us broken places of our world today. And there are so many, whether here in Sauk City, Minnesota, USA, or for us in Siem Reap, Cambodia. But the thing is, Jesus is there because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and set the captive free. You know, when we speak of the broken places of this world, I think Cambodia ranks at the very top because Cambodia today is still one of the poorest countries in that part of the world. And add to that, Cambodia has all kinds of social problems from human trafficking to landmine, from people trying to find enough food to feed their family to trying to find a place to stay alive from these landmines. But the thing is, the suffering of the people of that small nation goes a long way back. 45 years ago, a radical communist known as the Khmer Rouge came to power in that nation, in the country of Cambodia, led by an evil man by the name of Pol Pot. When Pol Pot and his regime took power in Cambodia, he wanted to turn that country into some kind of an agrarian utopia communist state. And so to accomplish his goal, he began a, a systematic slaughter. And in the span of four years, he murdered one third of the population. The genocide that took place in the 70s was in the scales of the Holocaust during you know, World War II. Because of that, Cambodia today is known as the land of the killing fields. To give you an idea, as soon as the Khmer Rouge came to power, they forced people to leave their homes and go out into the countryside. And then they closed down, uh, closed down all institutions. There was closed down market, hospitals, banks, even the very basic institution of society, family itself was in a sense abolished because people were forced to go out into the countryside and then they separate family members. Children were taken away from their parents Husbands and wives were separated from each other and were sent into different labor camps all throughout the country. And then they round people up. Those that had any connection with the previous government and those that were perceived to be educated, if you wear glasses, you and your entire family would be among the first ones to be rounded up and slaughtered. They would force the people by the thousands to dig these mass graves and they would line them up in rows. And they have a saying that people's life is not worth a bullet, and so they would not use a bullet to shoot and kill. And so they would take the back of their AK-47 and hit the back of the people's head one at a time. And many were still alive. They would simply push them into, into these mass graves and bury them alive. 
they would take a knife and slash open people's chests and literally rip out their hearts and show them to those that were waiting for their turn, just demonic ways of tortures. They would take mothers with their babies. And excuse me for saying this. They would tie the mother up and force them to watch as they would take the babies and throw them up in the air and wait with a bayonet at the end of the AK-47. Sometimes they would grab these babies by their feet and smash their skull against a trunk of a tree and toss them into this mass grave. If you go to Cambodia today, I can take you to places. There are trees still standing, and you can go and you can still see the blood stain. They turn the rice paddies of Cambodia into these mass killing fields. And those people that were not being killed off right away, they forced them to work in the rice paddies from sunup through sundown and through the night. And for food, they were giving one small cup of rice water. And so masses of people die from starvation in addition to the killings that were taking place. It is a broken place. And those that survived would have a story, a story how they lost their mother, their father, their brothers and sisters, even the entire family. They are continued to haunt by the nightmares of the killing fields, even today, 45 years later. But the thing is, Jesus walks in the broken places of this world. Amen. Because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the, the captive free. Because of that, we're able to plant churches that the gate of hell shall not prevail. We're able to train pastors and church leaders. We're able to, to minister to the physical needs of the kids through these schools. And through that, God is changing the killing fields of Cambodia into fields of living soul for his glory and his glory alone. Thank you for your partnership. You know, folks, as I share the story of Cambodia, some of you have heard my story, but permit me to briefly share a little bit. As I share the story of Cambodia, I share my own story. Because I was seven years old when the Khmer Rouge came to power. And at the age of seven years old, I remember being forced out from our home with only the clothes on our backs. These, just, these masses of humanity was pushed out from the city with tanks behind us. We marched out there. I, I remember seeing corpses on the side of the road. Didn't know what was happening. And, but once we were out far enough from the city, the soldiers, they came and they round us up and put us in military trucks and shipped us across the country. And once we were at the location that they wanted us, they came and they literally yanked me away from my mother, removed me from my mother. And I was so, so afraid, so scared. I, I clung on to my mother's feet, and, but they yanked me away from her and put me in an ox cart along with other children and sent us to a labor camp. And my mother and, and other relatives went to different labor camps. But the labor camps that I was in was for children ages from about seven all the way up to 11, 12 years old, preteen. Even as children, they forced us to work in the rice paddies. They forced us to dig channels and build dikes across the rice paddies that would serve no real 
purpose other than to occupy our time and to work us to death. And for food, we were giving one small cup of rice water. They put a handful of rice in a big pot and fill that with water and boil that, and each child would get one small cup of that. And so masses of children die from starvation and, and the, the forced labor. But I was able to stay alive by eating different kinds of leaves and barks and roots and insects that I was able to find in the rice paddies. But the thing was, in addition to the starvation and the forced labor, they would torture and kill us. Every day around noon, when it's the hottest time of the day, they would tell us to sit in the mud in the rice paddies, and they would find some kind of cause, and they select a handful of children, six, seven of us at a time. And those of us that were not being selected were forced to watch as they would line these children up in front of us. And they would tie them up, and they would take plastic bags and put over their head and suffocate them and kill them. And we were forced to watch their faces as they would take pliers and pull off their fingernails and toenails. As they would cut open their chests. One day, they pick a boy that was working right next to me, and they tied his feet together, and then they pull his arm apart. Then they sent a soldier to cut a frond from a palm tree that had a sharp jagged edge. And they took that and they tried to decapitate his head, tried to saw his head off. And I remember looking at it. I turned away and they looked at me and they said, don't turn away because you will be next. I remember the scream, the blood just imprinted in my mind. And this would take place every day. One day while I was out in the rice paddies, I saw a snail bopping right next to me. And, and because of the hunger was so intense, I was so happy that I could find a snail to eat. And, and I knew that the, the soldiers, they were watching me and they would probably kill me. But because I was so hungry, I didn't care. So I ate that snail. And sure enough, the soldiers, they came, and along with their AK-47s, they carry these bamboo canes that they used to beat me. And so they beat me with the canes, and then they tied my feet together and my arms behind my back, and they dragged me across the, that rice paddy to the place that we would come to sleep for a couple hours, about a half a mile away. And once we got to that location, they found a tree that was full of these red ants, and they tied me against that tree and left me there waited until the rest of the children came back. And once the children came back, they untied me from the tree, but my feet and arms were still bound together. And then they forced the children to make a circle around me. And then they forced the children to repeat a statement after them, saying that what I did was wrong, was against their rule, that the children, they themselves, would not follow my example. They would not do what I did. And after they said that, they forced the children to beat me. And I would just fall on the ground, and they picked me up and stood me on my feet, and the next child would come and repeat the process. Somewhere in the midst of that, I was unconscious. I don't know how long I was out, but when I came out of it, all I remember was just being so thirsty. And so I crawled to the edge of that high ground to get some water at the, at the rice paddies. They noticed that I was still alive, so they came back and they beat me some more. And they said, next time, we will finish you off. But the thing is, folks, 
they didn't know that there is a God who walks in such a place. Because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. He kept me alive in that rice paddies in Cambodia. In that labor camps to begin with, we had over 2,000 children. Four years later, less than 50 children were still alive. The rest either died from the starvations or the killings that were taking place every day. At that point, those of us that were still alive, we were so emaciated, we couldn't walk, much less work, and so they dragged us and left us to die in the rice paddies. And one day, bombs went off, guns went off. We didn't know what was happening. And so those of us that, that had enough strength, we found, we found a hole in the ground to hide, and we crawl in there. And after a couple of hours, when the shooting had stopped, we crawl out and looked around and noticed that the guards, they were no longer there. They ran away because the Vietnamese were coming in. And we were left to fend for ourselves. We, we didn't know where to go. And so we sat there for quite some time. And then when we gained enough strength, to, we made a journey, a walk from where we were toward a town that we thought there was a town there. And when we got there, the place was empty. And then we kept on walking. Eventually, we got to a provincial town. And when we got to this provincial town, we saw other people that survived. And they were coming out from the different labor camps uh, uh, all throughout that area. And all of us were just literally walking skeletons. I said on a on the side of a dirt road, waiting for somebody to come and help me. As I sat there, a woman, a woman walked by, and as she walked past me, she stopped, and she turned around and came back and asked what my name is. And after I told her, she said, she's my sister. She's my stepsister, whom I did not know at the time. And then she took me in to, to stay with her, and then she told me that she had three children. They forced her to watch as they tortured and killed her three ch children. And then later she learned that they killed her husband at a different labor camp. And out of a family of five people, she was the only one to survive. And so as we were trying to find food and trying to find some help, people kind of clustered together in groups and the people in my group, about 100 or so people, somebody within that group said, perhaps we can escape. Perhaps we can walk to Thailand. And so one night we made the journey, walking from where we were headed towards Thailand. It's about 200 miles so, uh, from, from where we were. We walked at night during the day. We would hide because we had to stay away from the bandits and the, the Khmer Rouge and the Vietnamese. But during the night we would come out and we would walk. But the thing was, we had to walk across a jungle that was, and it still is, filled with landmines. The people would walk in front of me, and I remember so clearly, as they would step on these landmines and would go off, and I would hide to the side. And after the smoke had cleared, and after the screaming had somewhat died down, I came out, and I looked around, and I would see people got their limbs blown off, and they... Well, many times they were still alive because these 
these landmines, they, they what they call anti-personnel landmines. They were intent to maim, not so much to kill. And so the people would lay there without their limbs bleeding and pleading for us to help, and we couldn't help. I literally stepped on top of them because the people behind me kept on pushing on. Every day that this would take place. About a little bit over two weeks later, those of us that made it found ourselves in Thailand. That group of about 100 or so people was reduced to less than 25 by the time we got to Thailand. Again, my sister and I was among those who standing, and we got to Thailand. At that point, the world have heard what happened in Cambodia, the genocide that took place in that country. And so they, they set up refugee camps and they sent us into the camps and then they gave us some food and some tarp to, to protect ourselves from the elements. And afterward, they tried it to ask different countries to take in refugees. Through that, I came to Minnesota at the age of 11 years old as an orphan refugee. But as the Lord would have it, they put me in a foster home. And my foster mother attended a church in St. Paul. And through her love and the love of the people of that church, at the age of 14 years old, at Lake Geneva Bible Camps, not too far from here, I gave my heart to the Lord. Because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and set the captive free. He set me free because once I came to the U.S. and won all the, once all the basic needs were met, the, the trauma started to show. The, the nightmares that I endured uh, started to, to surface. I would wake in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because of what happened to me. And I would, uh, uh, you know, deal in these, these nightmares would show up every night. But once I gave my heart to the Lord, God just miraculously deliver that from me because he came to preach good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. He set me free and that is the reason I share my testimony this morning with you folks is to give God the glory because he continue to walk in the broken places of our world to free broken lives. I was thankful that God has touched and healed me. And I made a commitment, Lord, I said, Lord, I will serve you. But never know that, never knew that one day he would call us to return to the country of Cambodia. You know, in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 30 to 35, Scripture tells us, they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciple urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus. It's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying for four months more until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. They are ripe for harvest. The disciples, they had gone to town to find food. When they came back, they were surprised to see Jesus talking to that Samaritan, well, uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And out of the concern of his well-being, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And then he said this short sentence. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Friends, the disciples, they were not walking around with their eyes closed, but they missed what Jesus was seeing. What Jesus was seeing was the brokenness of the people, the hope and the, and the hopelessness and the hurts in their lives. And, and he had to respond, even though he was hungry, even though he was thirsty, but none of those needs of him could delay him for the moment from ministering to the people that were before him. The disciples, they missed that. And Jesus said, open your eyes. As he called them then, he calls us today to open our eyes, to see those that are broken all around us. God just miraculously opened my eyes in, in the most dramatic ways that I could have imagined. In 1991, the country of Cambodia opened its door to the outside world. Because the, the United Nations were able to get the different factions to, to agree to hold an election and stop fighting. And because of that, the country opened its door. And, and the Assembly of God as a fellowship, we wanted to take advantage of that opportunity. So we wanted to put missionaries on the ground right away. And so they transferred two missionary families from the Philippines into Cambodia. And one of those families, they were from Minnesota. They were from my home church. And so because of this relationships that, that we have, when they got to Cambodia, they wrote a letter asking if I was willing to return to Cambodia. And folks, I wanted nothing to do with that country. I was thankful that God has touched and healed me, but to go back to Cambodia, there's no way that I would do that. But this missionary friend kept on asking, and in between, the Holy Spirit worked in my heart. And I reasoned that perhaps I can go back to Cambodia and bring a closure to that part of my life. And then I can come back home to Minnesota. And so I agreed to go. In 1992, when I set foot in the country of Cambodia once again, the memories that I tried to, to forget, I tried to suppress for so long, once again surfaced in my conscious mind. And I thought about my, my mother, the mother whom I was separated at the age of seven years old. I didn't know whether she was dead or alive. Part of trying to, to move on was to, to forget about her. But once I was in Cambodia, once again, her memory surfaced in my conscious mind. And so with the help of this missionary friend, we began the search to look for my mother. And two weeks later, we located her. When I went to meet my mother for the first time, after the shock of the moment, and after the, the cryings, we got to talk. What I saw was just a frail, sick, broken woman. She could hardly walk. And then she started to share with me about her own story, how she was tortured so many times. She, she showed me the scar on her body and, and how she didn't have enough food to eat from day to day, even up to the point that I was talking to her. And I was just overwhelmed as I sat there and let her talk. The following day, my mother excused herself. She had saved up a little bit of rice and friends, she didn't have enough rice to eat from day to day. But on that day, she saved a handful of rice. And then she went and cooked that rice. And when she finished cooking that rice, 
I saw a group of Buddhist monks. They usually walk the street in their orange robes. And they came and they were standing in front of my, mother, uh, my mother's place there. And my mother put the rice in a little bowl and she walked out there to, be, uh, to meet the Buddhist monks. When she got to the monks, she slowly put the rice bowl on the ground and then she got on her knees and then she bent down and she bowed before the monks three times. And then offered the rice that she had cooked and saved up and, and cooked for them. And in return, the monks said a, chick, a quick chanting over her, and then they move on to the next house. My mother walked back to me. And when she got to me, as I was sitting on that bamboo bed, she put the rice bowl next to me, and, and I looked at her. And I asked, I said, Mother, why didn't you just eat the rice? Why did you have to give the rice to the Buddhist monks? At that point, she started to cry. And with tears running down her face, she said, Son, I have known so much suffering in my life. I have no hope of living anymore. And from her appearance, I believed her. And she said, my only hope right now is that I would give enough rice to the Buddhist monks that when I die and reincarnate again, reborn again, that I would not come back and live the life I'm living today. Here was a woman who had lived through so much suffering. The only hope that she had at that moment was a lie from the pit of hell. For the first time in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ, I understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, open your eyes. It seemed at that moment in the form of my mother, the Lord had given me a piece of his heart for those that were lost. I understand why Jesus didn't rest. I understand why Jesus didn't take the moment to eat and drink. Because those that were before him was broken and lost. And I was just overwhelmed. In the face of that, what can you do? I did the only thing I could and, and know how. I pray and I plead with God and I said, Holy God, please. Holy God, please do something for my mother. My mother. Lord, please do something. And as I was praying that, the realization that the entire country of Cambodia, every person, every man, woman, child was in that same condition as my mother. And so I was pleading with the Lord even, even louder. I said, Lord, please do something. My God, I don't know how, I don't know what, but God, do something to help my mother. And then the Holy Spirit responded. He said, yes, yes. Jesus had done it all on the cross because he came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And because of that, I can give the message of hope and salvation to my mother and the people of Cambodia. Well, folks, I didn't want to hear that. A little bit over a month, I left Cambodia and I came back to Minnesota, got married, had a kid and tried to forget about that part of my life. But the image of my mother 
and the words of the Holy Spirit echo in my heart every time I close my eyes to sleep. Yes, Jesus had done it all on the cross. And so in 1996, we went back as missionaries, and we've been serving there ever since. But this morning, what I want to share with you folks is that Jesus walks in the broken places of this world. He came to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And he's doing that in Cambodia, and he's doing that here as well. But you don't have to go through a genocide to have brokenness. You can be here in the most prosperous country in the world, and you are broken as well. Because the enemy meant for evil in all of us. But God will turn that for good to accomplish his purpose. What he wants us to do is to be obedience only. Yes, the needs is great. But when we are obedience to his calling, there is healings, there is hope, there is help in the midst of all these brokenness. Would you bow your hearts with me? Holy God, I thank you that you continue to walk in the broken places of our world. Lord, I thank you that you continue to call those of us to open our eyes and see those that are hurting all around us in need of a Savior. Lord, perhaps some of my friends that are sitting here this morning are broken because the enemy meant it for evil in their lives. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would set your people free. In the name of Jesus Christ that we would come to there and bring healings to those that are hurting and bring hope to those that are in hopelessness and bring peace to those that are struggling right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And call us, Lord, to open our eyes to those that are hurting and allow us to respond in the manner that you would like us to do so. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Kyle. Thank you, Darth. Will you put your hands together for Darth and Tita? And music team, you can please come. Um, sometimes we don't know how to respond when we hear things like this. And for me, I am... I am overwhelmed. This isn't the first time I've heard your story. Today, I'm not overwhelmed by what happened to you. I've heard that. That wasn't a shock. I'm overwhelmed, Darth and Tita, by your radical obedience to God and what he's called you to do. It moves me. It challenges me. It makes me want to serve God more. 
to hear the message of the broken people of Cambodia and know that we have broken people next to us, some sitting in the seats next to us today. And the call of God, the mission of God is, is to bring hope through Jesus to the broken places and the broken people of our world. That is who we are. It's what we're about. It's why we're here today. And I don't know what it is that you walked in here with carrying yourself. You may be, you may be broken. You may be messed up. You may have all sorts of thoughts about your situation and your family and all of that stuff. Understand, like, God is in the business of taking the most messy things in our world and changing those into the most powerful message you could ever have. And let that be something for you today. As you come face to face with your brokenness and your frailty and your junk, the stuff that you have, and know that God is real and what he did through Jesus brings hope, brings change, brings help when we call on his name and we go to him with open hearts and open arms and just say, God, we are desperate for you to come into our situations. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we're going to do a couple things here just before we're done and we're just about done. We're going to, in a moment, uh, pray together for Cambodia, for Darth and Tita, and uh, what God has them doing and where he has them. We're going to pray for them. We're also going to take an offering. We talked earlier just about how it is a passion of ours to fund uh, the kingdom of God being built around the world. Can I just tell you, being there multiple times, spending time with this family, that this is a worthy investment. If you are looking for places to be generous, if you are looking for things, um, funding their schools, helping their chil the children that are over in those places, and uh, the hope that is coming in Jesus Christ. We saw just one little story of that floating village and that girl, and I've been there in that place with those kids. And to see, uh, as we have these little Buddhist kids all showing up and teachers and they're, and they're praying and they're singing to Jesus. And it's just like, this is unbelievable. Um, so just as we close the service today, can we just take a moment and we're just gonna kind of corporately pray for these guys and what they're doing. They're, they're arms of River of Life Church. We, uh, we monthly uh, support them financially and help them be there. Uh, we've actually been a part of funding one of their schools as well in the past. And, and we've done that as part of our Kingdom Builder stuff. That was a number of years ago now. Uh, and so these guys are great friends, great partners, and uh, excited to take a team to visit you, visit you guys again, because it's such a powerful, powerful missions experience as well. So just join me as we pray. God, we pray. We pray for Darth and Tita. We pray for their ministry in Cambodia. We pray that the broken places and the broken people would find hope through these people, through this family. We are amazed at what you do, God, and how you work and how you take some of the most horrible situations in the history of humanity and you work this for good. And so, God, we are uh, just, just incredibly amazed by you. God, bless them, keep them, help them, teach them, show them. God, move in their hearts and lives in new ways. We give this to you. In your name, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.